here at Hope Church, if you're newer to Hope Church, you need to know this. I believe that every day is an opportunity for God to do a miracle. And so we don't just do church to check off the box to do church or uh, gather together just, you know, to worship for exactly an hour and, you know, 25 minutes or whatever. Uh, If you've been around here a hot minute, you know that uh, we're not that stringent because we care more about the spirit of God moving and doing what he wants to do than our plans. And so even this morning, I got a sense from the Lord that uh, he wanted to do something special today. In fact, I, I, I had a revelation that God hit me with personally, and I, I put my face in my hands and wept because God was just all over me and, and personally revealing something in me that he, he wanted to shift that I've felt stuck in for a long time. And so we're going to read, as we've been going through this message series, Author of Life, I love that, that um that he's called, one of the names of Jesus is author of life. Because as we've been going through the book of John and we've been looking at the seven signs or miracles in the book of John, each one of them really reveals a little bit more of the character of Jesus and the character of God and his, his heart for us. But I love that they call him author of life because anything that Jesus, you have to, you have, to have this conviction, anything that Jesus touches comes to life. The same resurrection life and power that we celebrate out on Easter isn't just for Easter. As Christians, we are Easter people. We are resurrection people. We have the resurrection life and power of Jesus living inside of us. The same spirit, the Bible says, that rose Jesus from the grave is alive inside of you if you know him. So we are not living defeated lives. We're living from a place of victory because of what Jesus accomplished in and through his death, burial, and resurrection. We are resurrection people. And I believe that, that God is doing something through this message series that he wants to resurrect some things that were, are dead and some areas in our life that we're stuck and our stories get stuck. Like your testimony is your story. That's why we made those bookmarks for you because it's important to, to know where you're at in your story. You need to know what season you're in. The Bible talks about season. Everything that God created happens in seasons and you have seasons and you need to understand that you're in a season right now and where you, where you are in your season is part of your story, but your story, some of us, we stay stuck in our story and God wants to take the pen and create an author and put new life into your story. And some of us, we need to turn the page and end the chapter and allow God to write a new chapter into our story. And so today you're going you're gonna to hear, we're going to continue on that theme. This is the third sign today we're going to look at in the book of John. And it's located in John chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5. And we're going to look at a story of a man who was stuck in his condition for 38 years. 38 years. Waiting. 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 And waiting and waiting and waiting for God to heal him. And what do you do in the waiting? And here we're going to see John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I'm reading to you out of the New King James Version for a special reason this morning. Normally, my flavor of choice is NIV. But however, NIV, uh, some translations leave out verse 4. And I didn't want to do that to you because if you don't get verse 4, you won't understand the whole story. So I'm reading to you out of the New King's James Version. Are you ready? After, there, after this, 
there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, waiting, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am trying and coming, another steps in before me. And Jesus looks at him and says to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked immediately. And that day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed, party pooper. The Pharisees were always pooping on Jesus' party. And he answered them, who made, who made me, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. And afterward, I love this, afterward, Jesus comes back and found him in the temple and says to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Uh, for your presence here today. I feel your presence in a, in a unique way this morning. I pray that you would help prepare our hearts for what you wanna do. We've made room for you, and now I ask that you would move. I pray that you would stir us up this morning, stir up our faith, open our eyes to see the truth of who you are and the things that we've been believing that aren't true, that are holding us back and keeping us stuck from receiving the life-giving power and presence of Jesus. I pray that you would anoint me to preach your word and help me to extend, would you help extend the time so that I could, I could communicate what you've put on my heart to share. Do what you wanna to do today, this is your service. We give you permission to shake us and to stir us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Title of my message to you this morning is Waiting for Change. Waiting for Change. When I, when I read this passage, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about in this passage, but really what struck me is this, this man who had been in this condition for 38 years, now, you have to understand something that back in that day, the average life expectancy was that most people didn't even live past 30. It was like in the, in the mid 
20s to late 20s. That was the average life expectancy of a male. And so the fact that this man not only lived past the average life expectancy, but he lived in this paralytic condition for 38 years. And what strikes me about it is, I was thinking about this. This is oftentimes when Jesus would do a miracle, and, and like we've read so far in the first two signs in the book of John, people have a need, they come to Jesus with that need, and Jesus touches them and does something miraculous. And in that miraculous, there's a sign. A sign points us to something. So as we go through each miracle and each sign, it should, it should reveal or point to something about the nature and character of God. And what I love about this story in particular is that this man did not go to Jesus, but Jesus went to the man. Now there's the festival that most scholars believe this is Passover festival. This is a big deal. This is where everybody is going to Jerusalem, but Jesus makes a detour from the party to come to the pity party. He makes a detour to come to meet this man and to face this man, to encourage this man and to change this man's story. This, this man had been, been waiting. Now, this, this is a myth. Now, this is why some people, uh, some translators of certain translations of the Bible omit verse 4 when he talks about that they would wait on the stirring of the water, that there was a myth, uh, a fable, if you will, that once a year an angel would come down and stir the water, and when that happened, it would be like a spiritual lottery. The first person that made it into the water would get healed. And everybody else would, oh, I gotta wait another year. And so year after 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 year, this man waited and waited and waited. And I think there's a spiritual principle in here that, that God showed me. I think this is, this is one of our biggest problems. I don't know about you, but I'm not a good waiter. <laughs> now, I don't mean like waiting tables. I actually did that. Put me through college. It was great. It was a great gig. Um, my wife and I did that. But um, I mean, like, I'm not a very patient person. Like, I can't even get behind you. I've told you about my driving skills. Why I don't put a Hope Church bumper sticker on the back of my car. Because I'm not very patient when I drive. Like, if you are in front of me and you're going slow, I'm riding your bumper. Just saying. It's just happening yeah, because I got a little bit New Yorker in me and we like to get to point A and point B as fast as possible because, you know, nothing ever good just happens in between. You, you can't enjoy the ride. You got to get to where you're going. And so I, I, I want to get where I'm going quick. And so I want to get there in a hot minute. I don't like waiting in lines at the grocery store. I'm going to pick, thank God they made those self-checkout. I'm like, I'll do this myself, doggone it. I'm not waiting for these four people in front of me. I, I don't know about you, but if I'm at home, my wife makes fun of me about this. But if I'm watching Netflix and it pauses for a hot minute and that little round thing starts going round and round and round, I'm furious. I'm mad. I'm like, something's wrong with this thing. Get it going. We got to reboot the internet. What's going on? I, I can't even wait that long, right? And I think in our fast-paced modern culture, we have been so conditioned to have it your way, to have it fast, hot and ready, right? We don't want to wait on our Krispy Kreme sign to be turned on and neon to be hot and ready. I want it hot. I want it ready. I want it now. I want it the way I want it. And if we're not careful, we could start 
getting in a spiritual rut of thinking the same way about God meeting us. And for many of us, like this man, we could get stuck. You know what struck me about this guy? When Jesus first approaches him, he expects to get change from him. I mean, pocket change. I don't mean, that's the problem, see? He was waiting on the wrong thing. He was waiting on Jesus to help him, maybe give him some change so that he could get by for the day. But what he really needed was for God to touch him and to change his life like he ultimately did. But what was interesting is that he wasn't looking to Jesus to heal him. Jesus came to him. He was looking for some change. He was looking, hey, you want to help me out? You could give me some change, put some money in my cup, or you could pick me up and and bring me to the pool. And, and what he was missing the fact that Jesus was there and he could have real change, lasting change. He could have a miracle happen in his life. And I wonder how many of us approach God the same way is that we're looking to come to church and just get my Jesus fix, get my change for the day, feel better about myself, but I'm still stuck in my condition. I come to church and I praise God and I hear a good word and, and I, I hope this is a good word for you and it encourages you. But sometimes we don't need just a word to encourage us. Sometimes we need a word to convict us. And Jesus convicts this man. He confronts this man. Sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to confront us. But I'm going to head of myself. I want to I tell you, I think there, there's a spiritual principle in, in there that we have to understand about how we change, how we grow. And it's this, sometimes we're waiting on God. Oftentimes God is waiting on us. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we are waiting on God. Oftentimes God is waiting on us. You see, Jesus, I want to go back to the end of the story. Because I love the fact that Jesus not only goes out of his way to meet this man and to do a miracle in his life, but afterwards, it says Jesus slipped through the crowd. It makes me think that Jesus wasn't looking for fame. Most of us would have stuck around. (laughs) You see what I did? Look at that. Check that out. That's good, right? No, but he slips out of the crowd so that he doesn't get any attention. The attention is, is not on him. But I love the fact that he comes back to the man because he wasn't finished with him yet. Do you know sometimes you could get a miracle and not change? Sometimes God could come through in your finances. He could do something in your marriage. But if you don't change, nothing's going to change. It will be a temporary change. In other words, I've got provision in my pocket to last me through the day or for another week or my marriage is good for another month. But what I really need is lasting change on the inside. See, this isn't about changing our behavior or externally. See, they were looking for something external to happen. They were looking for an angel to stir the water. They were looking for some spiritual lottery to hit the spiritual jackpot. And I think if we're not careful, we can approach change that way too. Like, God, would you wave your magic wand and and do a miracle in my life and zap me, change me, fix me. I'm broken. I'm stuck in my sin. I'm stuck in my brokenness. I'm stuck in my lack of faith. But I just want you to do all the work. I want you to do it. I want you to touch me. Sometimes we're waiting on God. But oftentimes, God is waiting on us. 
But look, he comes and approaches this man and he says, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. That leads me to believe that this man is in this condition somehow because of sin in his life. His sin has created his disability. His sin has created his brokenness. And see, see, the man got to a place, most people believe he was paralyzed. Now, um, I, um, I had surgery on my bicep. I tore, I ruptured my bicep tendon in the fall. And what's interesting is the muscle on the tendon, uh, t- the tendon attaches the muscle to the bone and the, and the tendon tore, which means my bicep tore away from the bone, which makes it so you can't use it uh, very well and you have no power, you, you become weak. And, and the doctor said to me, hey, you don't have, if you want, we can repair this, we can have surgery and, and you'll get strong, you'll build up your strength. It'll take a while, it'll take some time, but ultimately you'll get back to where you were, maybe even stronger. Or you cannot, and you know, you can use your muscle, but you'll never be able to do some things that you would be able to do. You'll be disabled in some ways. And I opted for the surgery, and I had the surgery, and I was excited about it, but what I I didn't anticipate is how quickly muscle atrophies. And I really, I I was blown away at how fast my muscle shrunk. Now, I I do go to the gym, and um, I do work out, and I know it doesn't look like it right now, but, um, but, but how fast my muscle shrunk but the doctor told me, listen, I'm gonna, you need to go to physical therapy and physical therapy will help you build strength back in that muscle if you faithfully over time, you do the exercises and, and you work out, your muscle will build back up. And, and so that's what I did. But, but thinking about this man, this man, it was more than just atrophy. Yes, he had that. His muscles had shrunk, they'd gotten smaller, but even more so, over time, when we don't exercise muscles, over time, what happens is the brain stops telling the muscles to, like the, um, the neurons to fire, which sends the signals to the muscles to work. And so in other words, this man, even if he wanted to get up, his brain could be trying to tell the muscle to fire, but he had lost the memory. His brain forgot how to fire the muscle, and so he was in this condition for so long. And I wonder how many of us are in the condition we are in spiritually because we have stopped exercising our faith muscle and we have stopped stepping out in faith and stopped believing God to do something in our lives that we could never imagine that he could do. And we've been in that condition so long we don't, even, we don't even know how to have our spirits tell ourselves, you're, you're stuck in this condition. Look, I, I love that Jesus, in verse 6, it sounds really odd to us, doesn't it? That he would ask him the question, the very first thing that he approaches him, do you want to be made well? That seems like an odd question for Jesus to ask this man. Of course I want to be made well. 38 years I've been stuck here. Bro, like, where have you been? Like, of course I want to be made well. But Jesus knows better. Because sometimes 
we get comfortable in our conditions. And Jesus really wanted to know, do you really want to be made well? Because if you do, it's going to require some things of you to do that are going to stretch your faith. And what I really feel like God is doing in, th in and through this message series, in fact, I was praying about this, and I believe that, that God is stretching some of your faith. God wants to awaken your faith. He wants to get that muscle memory firing back so that you start, your, your, your mind engages with your spirit and your spirit starts firing some uh, faith fibers in your muscles and they start twitching again. They start coming back to life and you start exercising your faith in areas of your life. But, but I think one of the reasons you'll notice this, that later in miracles, Jesus would ask people, what do you want me to do for you? Like here he knew, but there's something about telling specifically, listen to me, specifically, sometimes our prayers are way too vague. Oh God, make me well. No, tell him specifically what you want him to make well. Maybe there's something specifically in your life that you need healing from. Maybe there's something in your marriage specifically. And I wonder if God isn't waiting for us to come with him uh, come to him in faith and start praying specific prayers that we write down and we say, in fact, God put on my heart to tell some of you, some of you need to go back to that prayer wall and you need to write down on a card what you're believing God for. And, and so that your, your faith fiber muscle, your, your muscles start to get stretched. In fact, man, in my spirit, I woke up thinking about, it's in the Old Testament, I don't remember the exact scripture reference, but stretch out your tent poles, right? I thought, man, some of us just need some faith stretch marks. And really, stretch marks show that you're growing, you're stretching. And I know we don't have a good connotation, but I believe that God even specifically wanted to, said to some, say to some of you that in the areas of your, your faith stretch marks, God sees them as beautiful. Places that you, you seem are ugly, this was an ugly place. This pool was filled with people who are broken, paralyzed, blind, diseased. And Jesus, oh, I love this man, Jesus. Listen, you need to, if we could just get who Jesus is, man, you, you, you'd stop sinning because you would be so in love with him, you wouldn't want to sin. It wouldn't even entice you anymore. This man, Jesus, he, he could have went to the party of Passover, but instead he went to the pool where all the broken people are, where all the jacked up, messed up people. This is, what, this is a beautiful picture, in my opinion, of the church. The church is a place of healing. The church is a place of embracing people that are broken, that are stuck in their sin. And I love that Jesus didn't go to the party, he went to the pool. And he went to the pool because he, he came not for the healthy, but my Bible says that he came for the sick. He came for those who are stuck in their sin. They're stuck in their faith. I wonder how many of you today, maybe you're online, maybe you're here in this room. How many of you have been stuck? How many years have you been stuck? How many of years have you been stuck in your sin? Secretly, how many years have you been stuck in your brokenness and your bad habits? How many of you are stuck in your faith? At one time, your faith was alive and you were believing God for things, but you stopped somehow and, and you got comfortable. Here, here's my encouragement for you. Don't wait to be stirred. Stir up your faith. See, sometimes we're just waiting for God to... I, I actually thought, this is interesting, I won't... I won't talk about this, but shaken or stirred. 
And I'm not advocating for martinis. But what I am advocating is that I believe that oftentimes the catalyst for change is we're waiting to be shaken. Something shakes us in our life. We hit a problem. We hit a wall. We get stuck. Or we're waiting for God to stir us. Oh, Pastor Lance, you need to, you need to stir me. You need to stir up my face. You need to tickle my ears. You, you need, that's why I come to church. I come to church to get stirred. Now, now it's good to get encouraged. Don't, don't get me wrong. Hear what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But when you come to church and it's the only place and time that you get stirred in your spirit, you missed the whole point. We should come full. I should come stirred. I should come ready, expecting God is going to move because he's already moving in my life and God is stirring something in me to give to somebody else. Like I'm full, I'm overflowing, and, and I come to church not to get filled, although sometimes we need that. So no condemnation this morning. Don't you hear that for a minute? Because some of you might have came to church today a little broken, hurting, and you need the Spirit of God to fill you. But I want to encourage you just like Paul did Timothy. Paul told Timothy, he said, listen, don't be timid in your faith. He said, stir, I want to remind you something, Timothy. Yeah that you gotta stir up your faith. Did you, hear, did you hear that? Stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Like in other words, there was one time that God touched you and, and you, received the, the, you received faith from God to believe. But if we're not careful, you know what that word stir actually means in the Greek original language? It means fresh aflame. Wow, it's kind of like a campfire at night starts to get low and you need to throw another log on the fire to keep the fire burning. And too many of us, we are waiting for God. We, we wait until we feel an emotional feeling to draw close to God. Listen, that is, that is you, you have the power to command your will. And sometimes we feel it, and sometimes we don't, but our faith isn't based on our feelings. You gotta have a foundation of your faith that's much stronger than that, because your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will deceive you. But your faith, when it's based on a foundation of the truth of who Jesus Christ is, our foundation, our rock, and on the word of God, when you build your faith on that, it's unshakable. But it is stirrable. And sometimes we just need to stir up our faith. But here's the problem. See, see, this man was on, I brought these props out just to help me illustrate this to you. Because this man was on a mat. And a mat, this, this, is, this was his bed. This, is, this mat represented the place that he was living in. And he associated the mat with his condition. Because he had been lying on this mat so long he just got comfortable there. In fact, what they would do is they would take a mat like this, but underneath it, they would stash straw underneath. They would put straw underneath so that it would be comfortable to lay on, kind of like our modern day version of camping, where, where we, have, we have, yeah, these, you know, blow up, I don't know, beds. And we like, we don't like, how many of you go camping? I mean, we're in Montana. We camp, right? 
And I remember when, when my kids started getting to the age where we started camping, in the beginning you tent camp and you lay on the ground because you don't know any better or you roll up, you know, you have one of those mats that you, you roll out and you lay on that and you realize really quickly, oh, this ain't getting it done. <laughs> like, a bad night's sleep for mom and dad means grumpy mom and dad, and that ain't no fun to go camping, right? And you go camping, and you plan for three days, and after day, day one and a half, you're like, peace out. We're out, right? And then, so, then you upgrade to either a camper, right? Or you get one of these. And the problem is, the more we get comfortable... Oh, this is nice. I should just preach like this every week. <laughs> the longer we stay in our condition, the more comfortable we get. And instead of our condition prompting us to want to change, we get comfortable and we end up staying here for longer than we should see when the bed isn't comfortable this is why sometimes God will comfort you by the power of the Holy Spirit but sometimes he will he will confront you and Jesus confronts this man in the condition and so here's what I want to say to you don't get comfortable in your condition I think about that this man was sitting in this place where all these people that were broken, they were blind, and oh man, this is why we need people of faith to surround us in our life. Because you start to lower yourself down to the people that are around you. Or you can raise your level of faith by being around people of faith. When Jesus shows up, he stirs up this man's faith that he can actually be healed. But for 38 years, he just got comfortable in his condition. And here's our problem. We could get comfortable in our sin, in our brokenness, and we can even stay hidden in the church because we compare ourselves with the, the faith of the people around us and we say, well, they don't read the Bible that much or you know, they're doing that sin or they're drinking or it's okay for them. And we could actually lower our standards and we can lower our expectation of what God is gonna do and wants to do. And I believe that even today, God wants to, by the Spirit, He wants to confront you and me See, now the, the word for sickness, the word for blindness, the word sick is the word asthenio. It means to be weak, to be feeble, to be without, put that up, will you? Without strength, to be without strength, to be powerless, to be needy. Listen, to be poor, to be sick, to be impotent. The word blind in the scripture is, is the Greek word tifophilos, which means to be blind. But check this out. It doesn't mean to just be physically blind. It means to be mentally blind. So in other words, we lose, we start to lose revelation in the word of God. We start to lose sight of who God really is. Oh man, I want to stir up your faith this morning and remind you of who God really is. I want the smoke. Check this out. One of the things that it says is, is your eyes get opaque. Listen, they get blind because of the raising of smoke. Our, our eyes get darkened by smoke. This is what happens when, when we 
go through things in life. In fact, um, a while ago, I preached a whole message series about this passage, and I took the mat and I took a metaphor for it. M is for your mindset, right? A is for accusations, the accusations of the enemy that he wants to throw at you. We could get stuck on the mat because we have wrong mindsets. We got too much smoke from our past and, and we allow our mindset to get in the wrong place where we stop seeing God for who he really is and we start allowing the accuser of the brethren, the enemy, and we allow people to start telling us who we are and we start identifying with our brokenness just like this man did and our sin rather than the victorious word of God over our life that I am a child, like we sang today, I am a child of God and that I can live in victory and the T for tragedy because sometimes life experience and tragedies that we, we go to, we allow them to change us instead of being changed by them. But my Bible says that in all things, God works for our good. It doesn't say that God causes all things. No, that's, that's the enemy of your soul. He wanted to use that tragedy to take you out, but God wants to use the tragedy to turn your tragedy into triumph. And he comes to him and he says, do you want to be made well? In other words, do you want to be comfortable? And this is what we do after a while. We just settle down and we say, oh, I guess this is just who I am. I guess I just need to get comfortable that I'm never going to be who I want to be. I'm never going to be the husband I want to be, the father I, I, I want to be. I guess I better get comfortable in my addiction. I guess I better get comfortable in my sin and my brokenness. And Jesus comes to him. This is really what, do you want to be comfortable or you, do you want to be cured? See, change begins where excuses end. And notice the man's response. Sir, I've got no one to help me get in the pool. Which in, in, in some sense that might be true, but in another, it was an excuse how many times do we use our past as an excuse? You don't know my brokenness. You don't know what my husband did to me. You don't know what my ex did. You don't know how much that hurt. You don't know how much that messed me up. I had a plan for my life. You don't know what that car wreck did. You don't know what that cancer did to me. You don't know what I was believing for my son or my daughter. You don't know what happened. And those are all real things. Hear my heart this morning. Those are all real things. But there comes a point in time where we have to stop making excuses for where we are stuck spiritually and start ending the excuses and allowing God to begin a new story and write a new chapter. I love John Maxwell. He says this, life is 10% what happens to me, 90% of how I react to it. And so here, here's the last... Well, next to the last thing I'll say to you, I'm going to go through this quick. We need to believe more in God's ability than your disability. Some of us have gotten to a place, and what I mean by that is this man's greatest disability, I don't believe, was his, la his lameness. I believe this man's greatest disability was his mindset. It wasn't that he didn't believe. It was that he was putting his belief in the wrong things. Oh man, did you hear that? You need to hear that. 
because too many of us, our disability isn't that we, we are physically in a, in a condition that doesn't help us to walk out our spiritual life, but our greatest disability is putting our faith in the wrong things, our belief in the wrong things. Self-help is no help, help at all. Listen, this man was putting his belief more in tradition than Jesus. He asked Jesus to help him get in the pool. Too many of us are just asking Jesus to do things for us to help us in get comfortable in our condition instead of changing us to become the people God made us to be. Man, I'm preaching way better than you're responding. No, I'm serious. I don't say that very often, but I'm preaching to myself happy up here. I'm like, this is good. But too many of us let our disability define us. And after a while, you stay stuck so long, you start thinking, I'm not just a saint who sins. I am a sinner. I'm an alcoholic. This is why I don't like AA. I don't, I don't believe if you're a believer in Jesus that you need to stay stuck in that identity. God freed you of that. Don't keep identifying that. Why do you think Jesus said, take up your mat? I always wonder, why did he say, take up your mat? He said, leave that sucker behind. But some of us need to remember where we came from. I wonder, I wonder if in this man's house somewhere, that mat was on the floor or rolled up somewhere by his bed as a reminder to him, don't let your disability define you. limit God's ability. Ephesians 3.20, now, right now, not someday, not I hope. Now to him who is what? Able. Some translation says God is able. I may not be able to change, but God is able to do what? Immeasurably more. Like I can't measure it. That's our problem. We want to measure what God can do and what he can't do. But my Bible says in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. According to what? My self-help? According to my own willpower? No. According to his power at work in me. I, I love the story of George Danzig. I'm, I'm gonna end on this story. George Danzig was, as a, as a man, he was in college at the University of California, Berkeley. In 1939, uh, he, was, he was registered class there and he was uh, a mathematician, studying to be a mathematician. He would go on to do some amazing things, worked for our government, helping them with statistics and analyzing data, all these things. But, but he happened to show up to late to class one day and his math teacher had put two problems on the board that had been classified as unsolvable problems. Like nobody has been able to solve these, not the most brilliant minds in the whole world. Nobody has been able to solve these problems. Well, George Danzig comes in late to class. He didn't get the memo that these were two unsolvable problems. And he wrote the problems down thinking that those, that was their homework assignment. And he went home 
and he worked on those problems for a couple of days and he turned them in. Well, about 15 days later, he gets a knock on his door at his home and his professor answers the door. He answers the door and his professor is there and he's shocked to see his professor, you know, clean himself up, you know, he's in his jockeys, whatever. But he opens the door and his professor's there and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Did I forget to turn in an assignment? He's like, no, George, that's not why I'm here. He's like, you want to know why I'm here? You solved both of those unsolvable problems. And he's like, wait, what? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, those two problems that I put on the board, those are two unsolvable problems. There has been no one in the history of the world who's been able to solve those two problems mathematically, and you did. This is a quote from George Danzig. He said, if someone had told me that they were two famous unsolved problems, I probably would have never even tried to solve them. How many of us have limited God's ability because of our disability? We are not thinking high enough. We're not praying hard enough. We're not believing enough. And I wanna, I wanna as we close, I just wanna stir your faith. I believe that, man, I believe the presence of God is in this room. And I wanna end with this thought. Don't give up. 38 years. 38. How long has it been for you? How long have you been struggling with that sin? How long have you been struggling in your marriage and your finances, whatever it might be? Where are you stuck? And how long have you been there? I want to read this last scripture over you. I want you to stand. Would you stand to your feet? Yeah, take the air mattress away. We don't want to be comfortable anymore. Is this resonating with you? I want to read the scripture over you as we close. And then I want to pray for some of you. And I just want to say, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, like you've never surrendered your life to him fully, accepted him as the son of God, who came to earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died as you, for you, for every sin you ever committed, past, present, and future. And if you receive him, repent of your sin, ask him to forgive you, tell him that you believe he's the son of God, ask him to come into your life and make all things new. Today is the first day of your new story. And we have an amazing prayer team. We'll be up here. You could pray with them. We have a connect card. You can mark on that. Today's the day I made that decision. You could put it in one of those give connect boxes on the way out. We'll follow up with you, pray for you. But for the rest of us, I want to read the scripture over you. I want you to close your eyes and just put your hands out. This is Isaiah prophesying. And I believe that the spirit of prophecy is not just for then, but it is for now. And it says this, then when you surrendered to me, Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and the burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where the jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Because you know what Bethesda means, church? Bethesda means house of mercy house of grace. Let me tell you, when you call on the name of the Lord, 
There is grace that's going to invade your house. There's grace that's going to invade your place. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven. Father, right now, by the Spirit of the living God, God, forgive us for getting comfortable in our condition. God, I pray today that you would confront us. God, that we wouldn't stay stuck, that we wouldn't stay the same. But I pray the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave would come alive inside of your people. Come alive in us today. God, in Jesus' name.